I'm Elena Hudgens-Lyle. And I'm Harvinder Vadva. We're the hosts of Inappropriate Questions, and we're back with Season 3. With some fantastic guests, we break down questions like... Is asking where are you from appropriate small talk? Is it okay to ask a co-worker how much do you make? Should you ask a polyamorous person, do you get jealous? Inappropriate Questions Season 3. Available now on the CBC Listen app or wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. I'm Dr. Brian Goldman. This is White Coat Blackheart. Searching online for questions about your health isn't always healthy. You look up something simple like, why do I keep getting eczema? And whoosh, you're hurtling through This radio ad is on all the time in Ontario. Earlier this year, Ontario allowed pharmacists to treat minor ailments like eczema and pink eye. Last week, they added yeast infections, canker sores, and more to the list. Or you could just talk to a pharmacist. Stop going down internet rabbit holes and start connecting to care. Other provinces like BC have made similar moves. In theory, it means more convenience for patients and more time for doctors to look after people with complex needs. But for the 6.5 million plus Canadians who either don't have a family doctor or can't get a timely appointment, pharmacist prescribing takes on a more pivotal role. I learned that during a recent trip to Alberta, where pharmacist prescribing has been on another level since it was first introduced in 2007. Oh, I'm Brian Goldman. Hi, Brian. I'm Dylan. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you, Dylan. <laughs> We're a little bit of a smaller space than usual. Pharmacist Dylan Moulton shows me around Medidrug's Mill Creek. It's a small pharmacy located in south central Edmonton. We want it to be comfy. We want it to be homey. We have a few little touches. You know, we we try to pride ourselves as being an inclusive space, as inclusive as we can be. So, for example, we have our our progress flag there on the front window. Uh, It's a bright and cozy space. To the right, a dispensary. Out front by the storefront window, a sitting area with comfy chairs. A strong signal that this place does a lot more than dispense medications. Does anything in this setting tell people, I guess, I guess it's the examining room, that's what tells people that, that there's something extra here? I think so. And, and I think, like I said, the little things we just noted. Dylan takes me to the consulting room where he sees patients. There's an examining table and a diagnostic set. So hi, my name's uh, Dylan Moulton. I am a pharmacist uh, at Medidrugs Mill Creek Pharmacy, a small independent pharmacy here in Edmonton, Alberta. I also have a few other roles. I'm a sessional lecturer at the University of Alberta and the Faculty of Pharmacy and Pharmaceutical Sciences. Um, I'm on the uh, Alberta College of Pharmacy's uh, Competence Committee. I work with a project called the PrideRx Project at the University of British Columbia. Dylan started practice as a pharmacist in 2019 and is well-versed in pharmacist prescribing. He figures he's renewed or modified doctor's prescriptions for 90% or more of his clients. By modifying, he means changing the dose or switching to a substitute when the one the doctor prescribed isn't available or isn't appropriate. But in Alberta, pharmacists can go beyond that. They can prescribe a new drug independent of doctors. They call that initial access prescribing. When we're talking about initial access prescribing or APA or additional prescribing authority, which is something that a pharmacist will apply for in Alberta, get your designation, and then you're able to do those initial prescriptions. I would say that number is a bit lower, but it is certainly rising amidst all of the chaos in the healthcare system right now. There's huge issues in Alberta accessing physician care. It's just an overwhelmed system right now. And I would say that you've utilized our APA prescribing way more than we probably have in the past. But I would say... I would say probably 15 to 20% of people would have accessed an initial access prescription right now, but that's, that's a complete guess. This is what I've come to Alberta to find out about. 
once you've graduated, you are then able to apply for um, additional prescribing authority or your APA. It's more like a assessment. It's almost, it's a competence assessment. Prescribing is more than just, yeah, this medication is safe. Here you go. See you later. It's so much more than that. It's does this make sense for this patient? And more importantly, now that you've given this out, how do we ensure it is effective and safe on an ongoing basis? Who's going to call this patient? Are you checking up with them? Do they have a physician or another healthcare practitioner that's following up with them in a few days? From there, you actually then show a few cases. So you submit a case where you've worked with another practitioner who has prescribing authority. What are the kinds of first prescriptions do that you write for, for your clients here in this community? That's wonderful. So schedule one products are what pharmacists are able to prescribe. Federally speaking, we're not able to prescribe controlled drugs. That's, that's the limitation. That's the general gist of it all. And that's where Alberta differs from these other provinces that are starting to get prescribing authority. They're very limited to, you can prescribe for this condition. You can prescribe for this thing. We're not like that in Alberta. I can prescribe any schedule one product that I want to prescribe. And more importantly, that I feel competent prescribing. So I can really do a lot of things. If something comes up, say you, you specialize in an area, let's say a pharmacist works in a mental health clinic, whatever that, whatever that setting looks like. There's no reason why that pharmacist couldn't be prescribing antidepressant therapy. Maybe they have competence in that area. Maybe they have a very uh, interprofessional and collaborative relationship with the rest of the team. There's no reason why they can't engage in that type of prescribing. And I think that's where this question will really depend on the professional. It will depend on the pharmacist and it will depend on the setting. So that's what I kind of love about practicing here is I'm not limited to what I can do. So what's the condition uh, that you had to do the, the most studying to bone up on to, to, to get competent, to, to make yourself, to demonstrate that you were competent to actually start to prescribe for it? It's a good question. And I think that is one of those things where as pharmacists, we wait for those situations to come to us, right? So it's not like I'm sitting there thinking, oh, what about the day when somebody comes in with, let's say, high cholesterol? Let's start with high cholesterol. Pretty easy thing to prescribe for, in all honesty, right? The guidelines are very, very laid out. They're very clear. But maybe if a patient walked in at the very moment and said, hey, you know, I have high cholesterol, or how do we determine they have high cholesterol, right? Usually, I think it's important to look at the pathway too. So a patient comes in from a, from a physician, for example, had some blood work to show high cholesterol. Typically, the physician would probably have already prescribed something at that point. But what happens when the patient comes in who doesn't have a family doctor, who has all these risk factors, and we're sitting there and looking and saying, okay, maybe we should order some blood work for this patient. That's another thing we do here in Alberta. So we can order blood work. Maybe we send some labs off and have it come back. And wow, the patient has high cholesterol, right? So in those situations, I'm going to sit there and say, okay, am I competent to make a decision right now? And maybe I am. Maybe I've done this before, right? Maybe I have prescribed a statin before, for example. But maybe I haven't. And maybe I need to take a bit of time to kind of brush up on that. So to kind of answer your question, I don't think I sit there and I, I think about what potentially is going to happen and then build my competence on it. I think I'm more so personally and professionally. will wait for those situations to come my way. I would certainly not engage in something that I felt was too last minute. You know, I don't actually have the knowledge to do this right now, but I feel pressured. So I'm going to prescribe it right now. I feel that we will wait for the opportunity to arise, educate ourselves, and from there either build that competence now or refer off because we're not going to have the patients wait for us because we want to prescribe this. The whole purpose of this is, is patient access to care. When patients are accessing pharmacist prescriptions for high blood pressure, there's evidence that it works. A 2017 study paid for by the Canadian Pharmacists Association found that pharmacists prescribing for hypertension was effective and saved the healthcare system money. 
Faced with limited or no access to primary care, some patients are seeing their pharmacist for medical conditions that aren't as cut and dried, as we're about to find out. Come on in. Kelly, this is Brian. Oh, hi. How hi, Kelly. I'm Brian. Hi, this is Kelly. Uh, come on, have we go, have okay. we go in there. Okay. Still good out here, She's good. She's got her music going. Okay, My daughter's right. special needs. That's Kelly Carter, a client of Dylan's. And that special needs child Dylan mentioned is Kelly's daughter, Erin. She's an adult with Down syndrome who is nonverbal and can't be left on her own. The pharmacy staff keeps watch over Erin while I talk with Kelly. Hi, my name's Kelly Carter. Hi, Kelly. Welcome to White Coat Black Art. Thank you. She says she's gone to pharmacists to renew prescriptions that had run out. Then, one day, recently. I thought I had a UTI, kidney infection. My doctor was on medical leave. I could not get into a doctor. And I called Dylan, and he asked me to come in, and he did do an exam. They tapped my back. I had flank pain and stuff, so yes. And he asked me to go for a urinalysis, just like you would with the doctor, right? But he did give me the prescription for the antibiotics and also asked me to um, follow up with uh, a TELUS Health doctor, which I did. But I did get more pain, and I went in to urgent care. The doctor there thought it was something else, gave me a different prescription. Then I ended up in emergency, and it was a um, appendicitis. <laughs> How are you doing now? I'm doing good now. At the ER, Kelly was found to have a ruptured appendix. She spent nine days in hospital. I'm struck by the fact that Dylan asked Kelly to tell that story to me. I certainly wanted to hear his side of it. This is actually an interesting one, and, you know, I hope the college hears this, actually. So there's certain situations that I think could be considered out of pharmacist scope for various reasons. Maybe considering the fact that we don't have the physical assessment capabilities to assess for these things entirely. Maybe we don't engage in it very much or very frequently. So for example, I had a patient come in the other day with signs of pyelonephritis. Kidney infection. Exactly, a kidney infection, um, which can often arise from maybe a bladder infection or a urine infection that starts traveling upwards, right? So for us, we are very commonly prescribing for UTIs, cystitis, as very basic kind of bladder or urinary infections. We do it all the time. But I had a patient come in where it seemed like it was traveling up. It was seemed like they were getting pain kind of higher up in the back, those type of things, which are what we would call in pharmacy red flags. Red flags that something more serious could be going on. And from that point, we're very often referring out. And that's not necessarily because we couldn't figure out what to prescribe in these situations. In fact, I would argue we know exactly what to prescribe. But it's important to note that in those situations, it could be something else. Maybe they need an ultrasound. Maybe they need another type of scan. And that's where we lose the capacity because we don't have the ability to order those things things. And in all honesty, we're not necessarily trained to assess them either. So that's usually a situation where I would have referred off. That being said, this patient has a child with really high needs. They weren't able to go sit in an emergency room because it would not have been, it was not even an option for them. They did not have anyone else to support them in looking after this family member at the time. So they were stuck, but they were showing signs that were quite concerning. And this isn't something that I'm just deciding on my own. The patient was really scared and concerned. This had happened to them in the past and they wanted to be sure that they had something on board um, so that this didn't progress too far. We'll be right back. The climate is changing, so are we. I'm Laura Lynch, and I host What on Earth? That's CBC's Climate Solutions podcast. Twice a week, we take you around the world to find the people who are trying to build a better future for all of us. 
We explore Indigenous science, new technologies. We talk openly about mental health and climate anxiety. We also take your smart questions all the time. Come find What on Earth wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to White Coat Black Art. This week, more and more provinces are allowing pharmacists to treat patients with minor ailments. Alberta allows them to treat a whole lot more than that. In places where access to doctors is limited, that may or may not be a good thing. Hi, I'm uh, Nasha Yuxel, and I'm a professor at the Faculty of Pharmacy and Pharmaceutical Sciences at the University of Alberta, and I'm a practicing pharmacist as well. When Alberta began allowing pharmacist prescriptions back in 2007, Nasha Yuxel was one of the first 15 pharmacists in the province to make the leap. Nasha Yuxel, welcome to White Coat Black Art. It's a pleasure to be here. You've heard how pharmacist Dylan Moulton prescribed medication to a patient who ended up having appendicitis. Uh, I wanted to get your reaction to hearing that story. Oh, sure. Yeah, it was a a good example of how pharmacists can be involved in caring for patients as well as how they can use their prescribing uh, authority. And I was really impressed with how he went through his thought process in making the decision. I feel you know, he asked the appropriate questions and assessment. And even though there was some red flags and, you know, things he was concerned about, which he shared with us, he went through the situation. He knew, um, he talked to the patient. It was a real great example of shared decision-making. He saw the need of the patient with this uh, special needs child and that they would have difficulty accessing their primary care provider right away. Even though he did start on antibiotic and the outcome was appendicitis, you know, I really felt he did his due diligence. In Ontario, as in other provinces, pharmacist prescribing is, is just getting started. Doctors in those provinces have said publicly that pharmacist prescribing is potentially dangerous because the pharmacist doesn't have the diagnostic experience and skill that physicians have. And, and you know, looking at, at this case, the one that Dylan described, some would say that this case is proof of that. And I wanted to get your response to that we heard similar things when the regulations were coming through for our scopes of practice here in Alberta. And all health providers, practitioners, do a process of assessment. And based on asking those questions or looking at labs and diagnostic tests that, if available, based on that full assessment, then, you know, providing some approach to decision-making for that particular thing. So if it's a symptom, for example, someone has constipation or they're nauseous, do they need further assessment or can we do something at this point in time? Uh, Diagnosis is actually is identifying and naming that disease, illness, or condition, right? And so we wouldn't say we do a medical diagnosis, but we do all the assessment to provide some approach, some conclusion to be able to make some decisions about what to do. So that includes not only potentially either recommending a non-pharmacologic option, recommending an over-the-counter, or potentially prescribing something. However, if there are things that they need further assessment and screening, then we would refer on. A recent study found that uh, 6.5 million Canadians don't have a family doctor or nurse practitioner. Given that, how necessary do you think pharmacist prescribing is these days? I think it's really necessary. They will see their pharmacist more than most other healthcare providers because they're going for prescription refills every three months, right? Pharmacists have a great potential to provide that care and be that sort of linkage to 
other primary care providers. I know a lot of patients don't have physicians, so if they can see someone to even ask their questions, you know, like I have this and this, this, then then why not ask the pharmacist who could potentially refer on and maybe make sure that they get that help. Otherwise, they may not ever ask those questions and they may not get screened for specific things or they may deal with a symptom and just leave it. And and we saw that a lot with the pandemic. Uh, one of the areas I work in is with contraception. And we saw that with, you know, the birth control pills, people just not getting their prescription uh, refills uh, done because they just didn't have a, a prescription to get them filled and they couldn't see their uh, physician. Would you like to see your pharmacist colleagues in other provinces have the same latitude that you have in Alberta? Absolutely. You know, that would that is the goal. And it is nice, though, to see the expansion happening. But we still have a ways to go to support uh, all the different uh, provinces as far as, you know, what pharmacists can do as well with their prescriptive authority. Nasha Uxell, thank you so much for speaking with us. Oh, thank you so much, Brian. Appreciate it very much. For Nasha Uxell, it's about providing added service to patients. As for Kelly Carter, the woman with appendicitis, she has no regrets about consulting with a pharmacist. I was desperate because I couldn't, didn't have a doctor to go to and I didn't want to go sit for hours and hours in pain, right? And so we went through that and, and um, yeah, it was come in and uh, he did look at me, right? Did a, you know, a cursory examination and, and asked me to do the lab work and do, do the follow-up with the, with the tell us my health. So doctor. that follow-up was a really important part of what he advised. Yeah, and that doctor said too, he said, I'm not sure that that's what you've got. Um, stay on that medication and um, then get more tests done. But by later that night, I was just in too much pain. And I thought, oh, I can't go sit in a in a waiting room, in a lab for hours, all of that kind of stuff. And, you know, go to the lab, go to x-ray, go get an abdominal ultrasound. It wasn't just one stop shop, right? And I have my daughter who's special needs and she'd have to come with me. And so it just adds to all of the stress. There are other provinces like Ontario that are just getting into yes. pharmacist prescribing. There have been some very you know, high profile ad campaigns. And there's also been some comments from physicians who've said that, uh, oh, they wouldn't, they don't think that pharmacists should be prescribing because uh, they could miss things that a doctor wouldn't miss. What do you say about that? My experience with Dylan is there, there was follow up for one thing. And I think like something like thrush from my medication that I've had before and I know that or with my kids when they had strep throat a lot I knew it was strep throat and you you could bring them in it you'd still go and get the swab my experience of a pharmacist prescribing they're responsible they're not going to just say oh yeah here you go Dylan called me the next day to like there is a follow-up to make sure and if it's getting worse go to emerge go see a doctor right if you have a pharmacy and a pharmacist or pharmacists that know you, that are respectful, and um, it's not just giving you medication, it's always follow-up, it's always giving you the explanations and answering your questions, I think that makes a world of difference. And I think pharmacists prescribing medications does alleviate some pressure in the healthcare system. Kelly, thank you so much for speaking with me. No, thank you very much. <laughs> Kelly continues to have a lot of faith in her pharmacist, Dylan Moulton. I asked him how it makes him feel. I think that that's 
why I do what I do. I think what it is is when you see somebody who you were able to support, who had a positive outcome, even within a, a very negative situation, and they were appreciative of what you did. I think to me, that's why I wake up in the morning and come to work every day, because I know that as pharmacists, we are doing really positive things in communities because we hear it all the time from our patients. So I do want to talk to you about physicians in provinces like Ontario where pharmacist prescribing is just getting started. The objection they raise is that pharmacists who prescribe don't know what doctors know and could mistake a a serious condition for one that's, that's, that's more routine. To your knowledge, is that happening all over the t- all over the place all the time in in Alberta now at this point? It's absolutely not happening. I think that there is a misunderstanding of what pharmacists know, how we're educated, and how we're not trying to replace another professional. And I think that's where physicians often get a little bit defensive there. Why are you delving into this? And my commentary I usually like to talk about is this. When a prescription comes into a pharmacist, We are assessing that prescription holistically. We are assessing it for its indication. We are assessing it for its appropriateness, including its effectiveness, its safety, and its ability to be adhered to. You're not just dispensing it. We're not just dispensing it. So if you're looking at the model of pharmacy right now, and prescribers are relying on us to ensure that these medications are actually safe and good to go, that's a big chunk of the prescribing assessment that any prescriber would do. You know, why don't we sit here and question every other prescriber that's out there? It just seems to be the pharmacists that get the main attention whenever we're talking about prescribing. And I understand from the aspects of physical assessment. I really do. I did not sit in hours and hours of training regarding physical assessment for most things. I have the ability to order a lot of labs, but not all of them. But that's where it comes down to, with other healthcare professions, I always wonder, when you are so heated about these concepts, it really shows how you feel about pharmacists. And it really shows the perception that you have about us. And I think that that to me is the biggest barrier here. It's not competence. We are competent. We are sitting there assessing your prescriptions that you are prescribing every single day. I think it's also interesting if you think about it from a pharmacist perspective, if you're just thinking as being an individual prescriber, you work with your small team, or maybe you're an independent prescriber, and you're, you're prescribing the things that you're used to you don't have a huge lens on what's actually happening out there. You're restricted to your own practice and maybe you read literature and maybe you're following guidelines, but I sit here and pharmacists sit here. We see everyone's prescriptions. We see what physician A is doing. We see what nurse practitioner B is doing. We're seeing what the podiatrist is doing. We're seeing the whole realm of prescribing. Which means good and bad. Which means good and bad, but it also means that I have a good understanding of what therapies are being used for what conditions. I have a good assessment of when it's effective and when it's not. It's not to say that a physician doesn't see the outcome of their prescribing decisions, but I think it's important to note that we see the outcomes of almost everyone's prescribing decisions. And that is are really valuable in building competence for prescribing. I think they also might make the assumption that every time uh, a client comes here um, who hasn't seen a primary care provider, hasn't seen a family physician, nurse practitioner, that the assumption is that they're always going to walk away with a prescription. And I'm thinking there are probably times when you don't prescribe. We just say, you know, I don't think you need a medication. I think you just need further assessment. I would say that's that's honestly a huge chunk of the time. It may be even 50-50 if I'm throwing around wow, a number out there. Well, I think it depends on the pharmacist, right? I think it depends on the need as well. If I, I wouldn't say 50% of patients seeking because I'd say the majority of patients are seeking things that we're competent in. But I would say that that if it's something is a little more complex, let's say beyond a vaccination that we're prescribing. When we get into the real assessments that the physicians are angry about or that they're, they're confused about, when we're talking about things that are more complex, yes, I would say that most pharmacists sit there and think, okay, 
what can I accurately do in this moment to get as much information as I can? Is that enough information to make an assessment that I'm comfortable prescribing for? And I would say that if we're limited in any way, shape or form, or we're feeling that we're not able to get the information we need, we're not just going to prescribe. We're, we're actually quite a reserved profession when it comes down to safety. We're very concerned about patient safety to the point where we'll sometimes even adapt a prescription or change a prescription that's off by a few milligrams to make sure that it is in the, you know, the recommended dosing frequency or the, or the total daily dose, for example. We're very picky professionals. We like to do things right and we like to do things appropriately. So it always is interesting to me. We kind of get picked on by a lot of healthcare professionals for being a little too overkill. And then on the same realm, we're getting treated now where it's, we're questioned. Well, make up your mind. You know what I mean? Are, are we either too hardcore where we're, we're not understanding the real life situation or are we just in a bunch of incompetent drug pushers? Anyone that worked with a pharmacist or, or accesses pharmacy care at a place where they're comfortable accessing pharmacy care. I think it's very clear that our intent here is patient health and well-being. We're not pushing drugs. If anything, our main method is deprescribing half the time. I really do hear them, but I don't think they're founded in actual fact. They're founded in personal perspectives on what our profession is. And because if you trust us to check the prescriptions that you're writing and dispense them to the patients, then I don't see why you wouldn't trust us to make prescribing decisions because we're basically doing the same form of assessment. Thinking about the community that you serve, how important are you to, to, to helping them, to being part of the, the healthcare system that is keeping watch over them and their health? Yeah, if we weren't here, there'd be some pretty sad stories out there. And there already are some sad stories and there'd be more of them. The care provided to these people, especially trans and non-binary folks, is quite deplorable. And it's sad and it's really heartbreaking. And I'm so thankful that those communities trust in our setting and our care because it's so meaningful to us. So I'm, I'm happy to do what I do. I'm very pleased to do what I do, but there needs to be a, a hell of a lot more. Dylan Moulton, thank you so much for speaking with me. Thanks so much, Brian. It's great to see you. Alberta is seeing more pharmacist-led walk-in clinics, but some pharmacists in the province don't like where this is heading. Writing in the Edmonton Journal last month, Anita McDonald, a pharmacist in Cochrane and a public policy student at the University of Calgary, said she's in favor of pharmacists prescribing. But a lack of access to primary care means pharmacists increasingly find themselves managing acute medical conditions for which they aren't trained, in addition to the chronic conditions for which they are well-trained. Quote, pharmacists do not need to expand their scope to include prescribing for infections or diagnosing heartburn versus a heart attack, she writes. We need to be utilized for the skills we already have. I'm asking family doctors to let me do my job so you can do yours. It won't fix the system, but it's a darn good start. End quote. And we want to know what you think, especially pharmacists and physicians. If you have comments, email us at whitecoat at cbc.ca. White Coat Black Art was produced this week by Amina Zoffer with help from Stephanie Dubois and Jeff Goods. Our digital producer is Ruby Buiza, and our senior producer is Colleen Ross. That's medicine from my side of the gurney. I'm Brian Goldman. See you next week. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.